It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Hey y'all, it's Beth here for a quick primer on immigration. Hi everyone, you know the drill with our primer episodes. We're just trying to offer some facts in anticipation of our full-fledged Tuesday episodes where Sarah and I discuss an issue and our opinions on it. So I'll try to be as neutral as possible in giving you a little bit of insight into immigration in the United States today. And then we'll dive into what we both think should happen going forward on Tuesday's episode. So quick history, up until the late 19th century, we didn't really have immigration law and we certainly didn't have immigration bureaucracy in the United States because we needed workers. We were a growing and industrializing nation. So people would show up at our ports, go through an inspection process and be admitted. We started enacting immigration law in 1882. In 1891, we established a Bureau of Immigration in the Treasury Department. In 1924, the Johnson-Reed Act passed, and this set up a consular control system. So you had to obtain a visa from a U.S. consulate abroad before admission to the United States. This law also established our border patrol. So when we started enacting restrictive laws on coming into the United States, we started having unauthorized immigrants entering the country. 
at that time, we weren't setting up limits on the number of people coming into the country, but we were excluding categories of people. For example, in 1882, following the California gold rush, we passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which restricted Chinese workers from immigrating. That law was not repealed until 1943. We also banned other groups, including most people from Asia, prostitutes, paupers, polygamists, people with, quote, dangerous and loathsome contagious disease, and people who we believed would rely on the state, including people with mental health issues and people who could not read. In the early 1920s, we started imposing quotas, and our restrictions at that point, which included a head tax or a fixed fee for people coming in and a literacy test, strongly favored Western Europeans. And as you will not be surprised to hear, we started seeing more people immigrating outside the legal system at that point. In 1929, 279,000 people immigrated to the United States. That number dropped to 23,000 in 1933 as a result of the Great Depression. So you can see throughout our history a linkage between the health of our economy and the number of people choosing to come into the United States. In the early 1930s, more people actually left the United States than came into it. After World War II, our Justice Department launched Operation Wetback, which you've no doubt heard of uh, in connection with Donald Trump. Over a million people of Mexican heritage were deported under that operation in 1954. The next major piece of legislation was passed in 1965. The Hart-Seller Act abolished national origin quotas. So we started to see more immigration from non-European nations at that point. George H.W. Bush signed the Immigration Act of 1990. This law increased legal immigration by about 40 percent. President Bush also signed the Armed Forces Immigration Adjustment Act of 1991, This act allowed foreign service members who had served 12 or more years in the U.S. Armed Forces to qualify for permanent residency and sometimes citizenship. President Bill Clinton appointed a U.S. Commission on Immigration Reform, and that commission recommended lowering the number of legal immigrants allowed in the United States each year. President George W. Bush was working with Mexican President Vincente Fox on an immigration accord um, early in his presidency to, st- to deal with the number of undocumented immigrants coming into the United States from Mexico. That work was halted by the September 11, 2001 attacks. Those attacks so substantially changed public opinion about immigration that really very little progress on immigration has been made since then. It's important to note that individual states' attempts to deal with immigration have failed judicial scrutiny. Courts really see who comes into the United States and their status here as a federal issue. It is hopelessly complex to talk with any degree of precision about how people get into the United States today. I'm going to do my best to give you a a quick overview. We cap immigration at 675,000 immigrants a year, but there are exceptions. Additionally, the President and Congress set up a number of refugees that will allow to be admitted each year. And then we have limits on how many immigrants can come to the U.S. from any single country. This is to ensure that no particular group dominates immigration patterns into the United States. So currently, we don't allow any group of 
permanent immigrants from a single country to exceed 7% of the total amount of people immigrating to the United States in a single fiscal year. We have 185 types of visas in the United States. So there are temporary visas, Class A's given to foreign government officials here on official business, Class B's for people who are temporarily visiting for business or pleasure, Class F visas are for students, Class H visas for temporary workers. You've probably heard a lot about the H-1B program. People can come into the United States for professional jobs with certain education, experience, and wage requirements. This visa is also the visa that covers fashion models of distinguished merit and ability. So with all of those temporary visas, you start hearing discussion that there are concerns that people overstay those visas, that we don't have a proper system in place for uh, watching the clock on those visas. The length of time people can be here on different sorts of visas differs by country. We have different restrictions in place for different nations. Lots of temporary employment visas. I'll just note, so you might hear about L1 visas. That's for an intra-company transfer. Athletes, entertainers, and skilled performers could be in the United States on P visas. There are R visas for religious workers, O visas for workers of extraordinary ability, and on and on and on. In most cases with these visas, if the status expires or employment is terminated, the individual is supposed to leave the United States and return to his or her home country. To have the right to live and work legally in the United States as a permanent resident, there are a couple of different doors to walk through. So one door is family connections. If you're the spouse, child, parent, or sibling of a United States citizen, that citizen can petition for you to receive a visa. There is a very complex preference system for how which relationships we care the most about. There is a complex formula for how many of these visas are available every year. There are age and financial requirements, and it is just not simple at all to come into the United States this way. The second door to walk through is the employment door. You have to receive a job from a United States company that wants you badly enough to incur the significant expense and very frustrating and long process to receive labor certification approval from the Department of Labor. It is a long and intense process, and many companies aren't willing to go through the undertaking. These visas are intended to encourage highly skilled people to come into the United States. We grant 140,000 of them each year, and when a person comes, their spouse and minor children receive the visa as well. You can also receive a visa through the Diversity Visa Lottery Program, which is commonly known as the Green Card Lottery. In order to enter this program, you have to be immigrating from a country that has less than 50,000 people immigrating to the U.S. in the past five years. So a low rate of immigration from your home country is required to get into the Diversity Visa Lottery Program. We take 55,000 people annually through this program. So the process is that your sponsor submits an application. So the U.S. citizen or company sponsoring you turns in all of its paperwork. And then you submit an application and you provide lots of supporting documentation, including financial records and civil documents from your home country translated into English. You pay lots of fees. You get a medical exam to show that your entry into the United States would not cause public health problems. 
and then you wait. Wait times currently stretch into 2019. This is a system that is jam-packed. The next step in the process is for you to go to an interview with a government official, usually at an embassy, and that interview is normally where you find out if your application has been approved or not. Once you receive permanent legal status, you enter the United States, and then you have to go back and renew your green card every 10 years. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. So I want to talk just as a quick detour about humanitarian entry into the United States. In the fiscal year 2016, President Obama set the worldwide refugee ceiling at 85,000 people. And then that 
85,000 is allocated regionally. So in 2016, we'll have 25,000 refugees from Africa, 13,000 from East Asia, 4,000 from Europe and Central Asia, 3,000 from Latin America and the Caribbean, 34,000 from the Near East and South Asia, and then there is an unallocated reserve of 6,000 people available. To qualify as a refugee, you have to have a well-founded fear of persecution due to race, membership in a particular social group, political opinion, religion, or national origin. Similarly, if you're already in the United States and seeking protection for the same reasons you might as a refugee, you can apply for asylum. And you apply at a port of entry at the time you're seeking admission to the United States or within one year of arriving here. We do not limit the total number of individuals who may be granted asylum in a single year. And there are not specific categories for determining who can seek asylum. As a point of reference, in 2014, asylum was granted to 23,533 individuals. If you've been in the United States as a refugee or as someone who's been granted asylum, after one year, you can apply to become a legal permanent resident. Additionally, we have a couple of temporary categories of immigration available for people who are afraid to go back to their home countries. So temporary protected status is granted to people who are here but can't return home because of natural disaster, extraordinary temporary conditions, or ongoing armed conflict. That temporary status is granted for 6, 12, or 18 months and can be extended. Additionally, deferred and forced departure provides protection from deportation if the home country is unstable and dangerous. This happens at the discretion of the executive branch, and neither temporary protected status nor deferred and forced departure necessarily leads to legal permanent resident status or any other immigration status. We also occasionally allow people to enter through parole, even if they don't meet any other category. Parolees can be admitted temporarily for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. So we have some discretion in this process. So being here legally does not give you the rights and privileges afforded to all U.S. citizens, specifically being here as a legal permanent resident does not allow you to vote, run for office, have a passport, and receive federal benefits. For those things to happen, you need to apply for citizenship. If you are married to a U.S. citizen and have been here with a valid green card for three years, you can apply for citizenship. You have to wait five years with your legal permanent resident status if you aren't married to a U.S. citizen. So you submit an application for citizenship and or, you know, the other way to talk about this is naturalization. You go to an interview with a federal agent. You're under oath during that interview and are asked about your background, your knowledge about, and allegiance to the United States. Then you take a citizenship test. There are two portions, an English portion and a civics portion. With the English portion of the test, you have to be able to write a sentence that's understandable to an immigration agent, read a sentence in a way that's understandable, to the immigration agent and answer a question normally when asked by an immigration agent. You have three chances to pass all three components of the English section. And on the civics portion, you're asked 10 questions orally and you have to answer six of those questions correctly. 
The 100 possible questions are available at uscis.gov in the Education and Resources section. And you finally take an oath of allegiance to the United States and at that point receive citizenship. Since this topic has been in the news lately, I just want to mention quickly that the 14th Amendment is the source of authority for birthright citizenship. So under the 14th Amendment, any person born in the United States, regardless of the status of the person's parents, is a citizen. And you can read lots of scholarship on why that is critically important to our country. And there are certainly opinions on the other side that abolishing birthright citizenship would lead to immigration reform in ways that are helpful. So it's a very controversial topic, and it's something that Sarah and I will get into on Tuesday, I'm certain. You should note, though, that when you hear the term anchor babies, which refers to children born in the United States to parents who do not have legal status here, those children cannot sponsor their parents for permanent residence until they're 21 years old. I want to mention some statistics on immigration and crime and also immigration and the economy. All of the information that I could find indicated that violent crime rates tend to drop during periods of high immigration. I have also found a number of studies indicating that first-generation immigrants are less likely than native-born U.S. citizens to be incarcerated and to commit violent crimes. Now, those numbers change with second- and third-generation immigrants, but there could be a variety of factors why, and I think that discussion is really beyond the scope of this primer. The 2010 census data reveals that incarceration rates among young, less educated Mexican, Salvadoran, and Guatemalan men who make up the bulk of the unauthorized population are significantly lower than the incarceration rate among native-born young men without a high school diploma. There is a general consensus among economists that both high-skilled and low-skilled immigration benefits the economy. Immigrants contribute as much as $10 billion to the economy every year. They produce an overall gain through increase in pay to highly skilled workers, lower prices for goods and services, and greater efficiency. Most studies indicate that illegal immigrants do not take jobs from U.S. workers. They specialize in activities that otherwise wouldn't exist in the United States, or they perform jobs that U.S. citizens would not do. We do know that illegal immigrants impose a net cost to state and local governments. That is, that they pay less in taxes than the benefits that they receive from state and local local governments. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. 
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. In 2007, the Congressional Budget Office issued a report that said, essentially, we have no idea what that calculus looks like on the federal level, and the estimates vary dramatically. We know that California is most hit by this problem of less contribution in taxes versus social services received. But despite that calculus, the overall and overwhelming consensus is that immigrants both legal and undocumented, raise the living standards for American workers. In 2009, the Cato Institute, a free market think tank, found that legalizing low-skilled illegal resident workers in the United States should increase the gross domestic product by about $180 billion over 10 years. So where are we with undocumented immigration? You've probably heard the number 12 million thrown out a lot. That is from a Pew Research Center estimate of how many people are undocumented here in the country. That number is basically flat since 2008. 2007 seemed to be the peak of illegal immigration. The number has been going down since then, probably for a lot of reasons. And as a side note here, uh, Rick Perry, the governor, former governor of Texas, takes some credit on that. If you look at the total foreign-born population in the United States, unauthorized immigrants are about a quarter of that population. Naturalized U.S. citizens account for 37% of that population and legal permanent residents about 31%. Here's a number that really surprised me. 
three-fifths of unauthorized immigrants have been in the United States for more than a decade. 41% as of 2012 had arrived in the United States during the 1990s, another 18% during the 1980s, 42% arrived between 2000 and 2011. Over half of unauthorized immigrants live in just four states, California, Texas, Florida, and New York. Three-fifths of those unauthorized immigrants are from Mexico. Uh, the other top countries of origin are El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and the Philippines. Two more points that I want to make before I wrap up. The first is that when you hear about deportation, comparing how many people have been deported under various presidents' administrations, you need to listen carefully. That language is confusing. Because since 1996, deportation is not really a thing that the government does. They refer to excluding people from the United States as removal. There are also the terms returned, reinstated, and expedited removal to describe what happens at the southwestern border. And the point of mentioning this is just that while we do forcibly send people out of the United States or keep them from entering the United States, you should ask the question about what's really being discussed when you hear the term deportation, because that is not how the government has characterized it since the late 90s. The other term that I wanted to mention is sanctuary city. There are cities throughout the United States under uh, state law that have decided to limit cooperation with federal immigration authorities. So local law enforcement in those cities can pursue immigrants who commit crimes, but they don't detain people just for violation of immigration law and they limit their cooperation with federal agents around those concerns. I mean, the idea is basically that local law enforcement doesn't want the job of enforcing federal immigration law, and so they don't in certain cities. So that is a quick overview of immigration in the United States today, and I'm looking forward to discussing this topic with Sarah and all of you on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.